0: And welcome to the Great American Mail podcast for March 21st, 2022. Um, It is a slow news day, but I have a lot to talk about. But I'm going to have to talk about it in front of a different microphone outside of my studio because I am not in Atlanta. That's why I didn't give you the weather report today. We're going to talk about the Supreme Court nomination of Ketanji Brown-Jackson. Going to update you a little bit on Russia and Ukraine. And we're definitely going to beat the clock and talk about a couple of other things if we can. So let's get straight into it. As it turns out, before we get to the Supreme Court nomination hearings for Kataji Brown-Jackson, we need to update you that Clarence Thomas has been admitted to the hospital, according to the Supreme Court, uh, for an infection. He went in, according to the news reports for flu-like symptoms, we don't have any update other than that. But just to prove the complete lunacy of the left, as per usual, they're already starting to go after uh, Clarence Thomas. Here's something From that's on TikTok right now about uh, Justice Thomas. Take a listen. Well, anyway, it just goes to show they're not very sympathetic when it comes to things like that. That's just how the left acts. But it's interesting. So Miss um, Jackson is going before the Supreme – I'm sorry, for the Judiciary Committee of the Senate, and they are talking about whether or not they should confirm her. And Hakeem Jeffries, one of the leading Democrat Congress people, you probably have never heard of him, but he is reputed to be, if they retain – the House next year to take over for Nancy Pelosi. He's like the fourth or fifth in line for those folks over there. And he tweeted this out. The Senate must treat Judge Ketanji Brown-Jackson with dignity and respect. Now, you know, it's a lot of people have taken that and said, oh, you mean like you did Kavanaugh and like you did Clarence Thomas and Judge Bjork and all this stuff. But I think people are missing the point. The point isn't that uh, the Republicans are going to do anything other than treat her with the utmost respect. The point of all this is truly to ju- is to just, again, accuse them of that which you're doing. So they know that they're not going to do anything to Katanji Brown-Jackson, but be completely respectful, just like they have been throughout history and all they ever do. But you you get to accuse them of that which you're doing. So she's going to be fine, but no matter what, they're going to come out, and I'm going to give you the news. The hearings just started about an hour ago in the Senate Judiciary Committee, and you already know what the headlines are going to be. The Republicans are racist and they're sexist, and the attacks on her uh, are just racist and sexist. And to just you know continue to show how crazy this is, Brian Tyler Cohn tweeted this morning about uh, Judge Marsha, uh, not Judge, but Senator Blackburn out of Tennessee, asking her about the Griswold decision. And of course, everyone knows where Ketanji Brown Jackson stands on the um, Griswold decision. It's one of the leading cases in privacy that would later lead of course, to Roe v. Wade. And, of course, she supports that decision. And, of course, people like Blackburn don't support that decision. So there's nothing sexist or racist about these types of questions so far, but that's going to be how they're going to be painted. So interestingly, the other thing that's going on about Ketanji Brown-Jackson is everybody's tweeting this little meme from the Washington Post that talks about the qualifications of the judges. And there's several things that they claim make you qualified. And then they have a little – you can imagine it's it's sort of a – a table that has six categories and then you check the box whether you are qualified or not. I'm going to read the things on the chart. <laughs> but anyway, just trust me on this that these things are, you know, are, are not things that necessarily make you qualified for the Supreme Court, but they're things that obviously that she has the qualification for. I mean, literally a third grader could have done this. It's just really embarrassing that this is something that the Washington Post has put out. So, first and foremost, public High school. Now, I don't know why that qualifies you to be on the Supreme Court, but in fact, apparently Judge Jackson, Judge Breyer, Judge Alito, and Judge uh, Elena Kagan meet that category. Ivy League education, all but uh, Amy Coney Barrett meet that one. Supreme Court clerking, all but Alito and Soto Sotomayor meet that one. And that just means you went and you clerked for a Supreme Court justice, okay? And so I don't know if you know this or not. You may, you may not. But if you go to law school, it's considered an honor when you come out to go and clerk for a district court judge and then of course if you go court you go clerk for someone on the court of appeals that's even higher honor and of course the highest is to go clerk for someone on the supreme court again doesn't necessarily make you qualified or not qualified to be on the supreme court it really doesn't matter one way or the other public defender she's the only person to ever be a public defender who cares i mean really the sentencing commission i never even heard of the sen- well that's not true i've heard of the sentencing commission but it's it's not a qualification to be on the Supreme Court. And just to prove that, before her, the only other person who had that, that met that so called qualification was Judge Stephen Breyer. So that just goes to show you. Clerking for a district court judge. Well, in addition to Judge Jackson, apparently, Soda Simon Yor also clerked for a district court. Honestly, folks, and I hate to do this, I'm really not trying to pick on her, because she, listen, at the end of the day, she is qualified. At the end of the day, she will be confirmed, and and she should be. I I don't have a problem with her being confirmed. I'm I'm not going to like her jurisprudence, because she doesn't want to follow the Constitution. That's going to be my problem with her. But listen, I mean, this is the way this system works. Biden won whatever he won, and when he won whatever he won, he got to pick on the Supreme Court. And unless she's not qualified, she gets to go on, and she certainly is qualified. So anyway, um, the sentencing commission, we did that one. District judge, her, the only other person was Soto Samayor. And again, since we're playing the game because on the Great American Mill, you know I believe in being honest. The fact is that she took a district court clerking position because she couldn't get one at the Court of Appeals. And that's just a fact. I mean, that's why you would do that. Maybe I mean, maybe there's maybe some theoretical thing where it was a family member or somebody knew somebody, but she really wanted to take it. But that's not really a qualification. If anything, it shows that she probably wasn't as exceptional. And apparently neither was Soto San Mayor, which is not a coincidence there, that they had to go and do clerking. At the uh, district court level. So anyway, um, a court of appeals judge, all but Elena Kagan were court of appeals judges. Um, some not very long. So Jackson has not been a court of appeals judge very long. Clarence Thomas, to be fair, uh, my favorite justice right now, living justice. Scalia would be up there if he were still living. He, in fairness, only served a few months on the court of appeals too. So that doesn't necessarily mean you're qualified or not. But again, the fact that the Washington Post has to come out with something as weak as this, sort of tells you really all you need to know about her qualifications. I mean, she is qualified. She should be confirmed. But the idea that she's the most qualified person out there, or frankly even the most qualified black female out there, is just nonsense. And there's no truth to it. And I think you're going to see when she goes through these hearings, which we're probably going to be covering uh, on a daily basis as they go forward uh, in the coming weeks. So what else is going on out there besides the Supreme Court nomination process? Well, the Great American Mail predicted this. A week or so ago, I need to find somebody, you know, in one of these countries that will work for just about nothing to go back and find these bits of me saying things in the past that end up becoming true. So, when the story first broke that apparently the New York Times had gone after Hunter Biden's emails and they'd filed a Freedom of Information request and all this garbage. I told you then, and I wish I could pull the bit and tell you when it was, but I, I don't have time to do it, and I'm out of town anyway, so maybe we'll do it next or some other show this week. But I told you then, if you remember, I said, all this is going to be is the New York Times getting these emails so they can whitewash the story. It wasn't going to be anything exceptional. So lately, what's, what they, happened over the weekend is a bunch of people, in the New York Times included, basically confirmed that the laptop... Is genuine. They confirmed that the emails on it are genuine. That that's all that really happened. And as you, if you paid attention very carefully from the mainstream media, what you heard was Hunter Biden and his tax problem. They kept talking about the taxes, and there's two tales in that. One. That's going to be the story. They're going to make the laptop about Hunter Biden not paying taxes, not the fact that Joe Biden was corrupt and getting money and getting 10% for the big guy and all that. What's the other problem with that story? I don't know if you noticed it or not. So they kept saying, you know, tax fraud, tax fraud, he's paid the million dollars he owed, and if you usually if you pay the money that you owe, they, they're, they're easy on you. Folks, that is not true, not, not, not true. There's two types of tax problems you can get into. One, you can be audited. So, if you were audited, they will say, okay, this is the income you reported, and you reported this many expenses. So, you reported a profit of, say, X, right? So, you brought in 100 grand, you spent 75 grand, you owe taxes on 25. You brought in 100 grand, you spent 100 grand, you have no profit, you owe no taxes. Pretty simple. They'll come in and they'll say, oh, you have $100,000 of expenses to you know, offset the $100,000 of income that you brought in. Well, no, we don't recognize fifty thousand of these expenses. And so what they'll do is they'll go, okay, well, you now owe taxes on a fifty thousand dollar profit. They'll they'll figure out what the taxes are on a fifty thousand dollar profit. The taxes are probably somewhere on the long lines of fifteen thousand dollars. Because remember you got to pay Medicare, you gotta pay Medicaid, you gotta post social security on that as well. Anyway, and they will hit you with a penalty and they will they will charge you interest from the moment you should have paid it. And I forget what the interest rate is, it's set by the feds, it doesn't matter. Anyway, so that's how an audit works. It's no big deal. I mean, it, I've been audited three times. One time they owed me money, the other time they claimed I owed them money. I don't agree that I owed them money, but I ultimately settled for the amount of money that they wanted. And you write them a check and it's no big deal. Now, let's go back to that same scenario. Let's say they come in and they start poking around and find out you didn't take in $100,000. You actually took in $150,000 and you just conveniently forgot to tell them about $50,000. Folks, that's what tax fraud is. Okay, that's fraud. And let me tell you something. If you do that, you are going to jail. End of story. You're not going to pass go. You're not going to get 200. You're going to jail. So when you see this Hunter Biden story about, oh, he didn't pay this and he didn't pay that. He didn't report income. If he were anybody else on the planet, he'd be looking at jail time. He probably won't get it. And we'll see how the story shakes out. But mark my words on this. Everything that people are talking about with respect to Hunter Biden, it's all going to be a whitewash job. And it's going to, at the end of the day, they're going to talk about something about taxes. And it's just it's just going to be whitewashed. Now, one more thing before we leave that. I've been wanting to say this. And I tweeted about it over the weekend. And as per usual, all my best tweets go nowhere. But, and the ones that are just kind of throwaways. I mean, I had a big Twitter, Twitter weekend, actually. And it, just the things that I think are throwaways go gangbusters. And the ones that are important don't. But look. Folks, the, the the Hunter Biden thing and the laptop and all that stuff, I, I hate to say it, but the mainstream media shouldn't have been able to pull that off. They were able to pull it off because people are just able to be duped. I mean, everyone knew from Biden's history what was going on. I mean, the whole thing stunk. I mean, forget, let's assume for the sake of the argument that the laptop wasn't genuine. What was Hunter going on all those business, all those trips anyway? Why does he get a seat on Air Force Two? You shouldn't be able to just take your kids around to different places and they go do business on, on the on the uh, taxpayers' dime. I mean, that whole thing was just crazy. The idea that Biden was in charge of Ukraine and these other countries and Hunter was over there doing business, that's called a conflict of interest. Everybody on the planet knows that it's a conflict of interest. And yet Biden several times looked in, not only say it was Russian you know, misinformation, not only did he say that, but he also, in fact— looked and said, there's no conflict of interest. And everybody knew there was a conflict of interest. So the fact of the matter is, the the mainstream media, they can impact elections. They do impact elections. And you just need to accept the reality of that. Now, look, the 2020 election, they went a little bit more over the top than they normally do. But it's been going on for a long time. So that's not the real story. The real story is that people just didn't care. They just didn't care about the conflicts. and, And there's been conflicts about that situation. And it still hasn't been investigated and it still won't. But another thing that people were talking about was the fact that 51, I think it was 51 intelligence officials, five former CA officials, you know, the usual suspects, Brenner and some of these other people, Brennan, excuse me, and they came out. And listen, this is another thing that's a joke out there. Uh, I'm going to tell you one thing in a moment, though, that, that's important about it historically in terms of politics that a lot of people don't know, and one of the reasons you listen to this podcast because you're going to get – we're going to talk about the Goldwater Rule, which you may not have heard of, but a minute we'll get to the Goldwater Rule and how it's important as it relates to those 51 intelligence members, but again – Folks, it's just, I can't recall exactly when it came. I think it came after the Clinton administration, maybe the Bush administration, somewhere in there. But you have these, these partisan outlets, CNN, MSNBC, and they bring people on from the administration, say, for example, the Obama administration with Brennan and these other people, Clapper and these other people, and they basically criticize the current administration that's from another party. And it's like, why is that exceptional? Why do I want to – seriously, folks, just because you worked at the CIA or just because you worked at the FBI or some other idiotic entity that they create, why should I listen to you when you're just a blatant partisan? Come on. I mean, so those 51 people, they shouldn't have been able to... So you manage, So what you're saying is, translation alert, you found 51 people from the opposition party to say the Russian that the laptop was Russian misinformation. That should not have surprised anyone. But anyway, let's get to what it should have triggered in a lot of people, and it did in me, of course. So when Gary Goldwater was running for president against Lyndon Johnson in 1964, and he lost in one of the all-time great landslides in history, I mean, Johnson was just overwhelmingly swept back into office. A lot of that had to do with the Kennedy mystique and, and that that sort of thing. But it also had, to fact, a lot to do with the fact that Goldwater did not run a very good campaign. And there was a little bit of shenanigans in that. So you may not remember this, but at that time, Fact Magazine came out with an article that said 1,189 psychiatrists said that Barry, or Barry Goldwater was psychologically unfit to be president. Seriously, folks, literally 1,189 psychiatrists signed a letter in that magazine Very eerily similar to the 51 people that said the laptop was Russian misinformation. Now, after that happened, and of course always after the fact, the American Psychiatric Association adopted Section 7 of their Code of Medical Ethics. And Section 7 of the Code of Medical Ethics prohibits psychologists, psychiatrists, etc. from giving a medical diagnosis of someone who they have never met or treated which you would think would be common sense and you would think would have violated the medical ethics before they did it. But the poor reason I tell you that story is this type of thing has happened before. We all know. And in the past, the, whoever the you know, particular group that is uh, monitoring these types of things comes out and basically says, listen, you're not supposed to do this. And you would think it would be obvious. But, again, there's a lot to be learned from that story, which is, again, people are partisan. You know they're partisan, but they shouldn't be able to take their partisanship out and use their professional experience to influence elections. That's exactly what those intelligence officials did. And um, we'll hold our breath and see if anybody comes out with any sort of rule for former intelligence officials and whether or not they should uh, make public proclamations on evidence that they hadn't even seen, right? They didn't know anything about that laptop. They didn't know what it was. They had no idea. So, anyway— Let's get to the Ukrainian situation uh, out there, and then we're going to cover a little bit about China, and then I'm going to wrap up the show. I told you I was going to beat the clock, but um, I'm basically in a closet here, so I don't have a lot of space uh, to do a podcast, but I didn't want to go without doing one today because there is information I want to make sure you're up to date. So um, over the weekend, Zelensky, as per usual, I mean, I, I don't understand. Maybe it's just me. I don't understand how you can be a wartime president. And managed to, A, never change shirts. He's always got that sort of you know brownish military-looking T-shirt on. Anyway, whatever. I, it, it's not my problem. But the other thing is he's going – he's basically just a media star now. He goes on all these different shows. So he was on a show this weekend, and he claimed that the Biden administration – told him, no way, Jose, you're not getting into NATO. Now, I've told you, everybody knows that. They're not going to get into NATO. They're not going to get into the European Union. It's not happening. It never was going to happen. But the interesting thing he said, and this should have been, I mean, there should have been fireworks, but again, there's no media anymore. The only media or podcasts like this or Ben Shapiro, Jack Posobich or other people out there like this that actually do real work, he said, the Biden administration said, even the, he said, even though they told me I wasn't going to get into NATO, They told me to continue to act as if it was a possibility. Now, that's what's called propaganda. Now, that's also what's called dangerous propaganda, because as you know, and again, I'm not saying it's right, I'm not saying it's wrong, but Putin considers NATO, and I think he honestly should, he considers it to be a threat. So the Biden administration, by telling Zelensky to go out there and continue to act as though he's going to be able to get into NATO... Probably not a good move. But again, it shouldn't surprise everybody. I mean, you know, a lot of people don't remember this, but Obama was famous for saying, never underestimate Joe's ability to blank things up. And he said the F word. Yes, he did. And, you know, this is just Biden and his team continuing to mess things up. So again, the update basically on the terms of the war is they've got a couple of towns surrendering or uh, surrounded and they're asking them to surrender and so far, the Ukrainians are holding holding tight. They're not going to surrender. I'm not really sure why. We're also getting stories that aren't backed up with actually hard evidence or video that the Russians are uh, continuing to attack civilians. So anyway, uh, we'll see how that plays out as the days go forward. Again, I'm just reminding you, the siege, it hasn't been 30 days yet. It took us 30 days to go to Iraq, and we're the best. So I would just hold out, and we should get more information on that soon. All right, so one more story I wanted to cover. It, again, it's a slow news day, but um, the Sunday shows were this past weekend, and F. Chuck Todd had his little group over there on NBC, or NBC, sorry, Meet the Depressed or whatever it's called. Anyway, so um, we're going to listen to Andrea Mitchell here. They're going to talk about the call between Biden and Xi Jinping, the president of China. Uh, and we're going to listen to what Andrea Mitchell had to say about the call, and then we're going to come back and talk about it. So here goes Andrea Mitchell. Talking about the call between President Biden and President Xi. And the role they may or may not play here, Andrea. I want to put up the two readouts because the good news was they had the, they, the readouts indicated they were at least on the same phone call. Sometimes you get readouts that they're not. I want to put up a quickly what the uh, Chinese side said. All sides need to jointly support Russia and Ukraine in having dialogue and negotiation that will produce results and lead to peace. US and NATO should also have dialogue with Russia to address the crux of the Ukraine crisis and ease the security concerns of both Russia and Ukraine. course the white house emphasized that they warned china don't help the russians he described the implications and consequences if china provides material support to russia as it conducts brutal attacks against ukrainian cities and civilians we love to say watch what they do not what they say whether it's russia or china but what they said indicated something andrea what they said though indicated they had to talk about taiwan because they everyone is analogizing ukraine and taiwan they had to separate that out and also because President Biden, frankly, last October in a town hall, was uh, a little bit off the one-time China policy. He was less ambiguous than previous presidents have been, going all the way back to 1979. They had to lay that as a marker. That said, there was other language in there. And talking to officials on both sides, frankly, uh, there's, first of all, saying that the U.S. and China have a stake as Security Council members, So anyway, um, I don't know how the audio came there. Again, I don't have my typical studio where I am today. But the reason that struck me listening to that, doing my political reading over the weekend and this morning is, you know, they're literally reading tea leaves from transcripts of a call that no one has heard. And and folks, this is U.S. foreign policy and the quote-unquote media surrounding foreign policy. I mean, if it doesn't scare you that these people are out there Making decisions and giving us information on things that are literally just snippets of phone calls that that are going on out there, it really is just sort of embarrassing. It truly is anyway so um you know I, I think we just need to you know calm down about U- Ukraine and Russia, continue to wait and see what happens and see how it ends up turning out. And again, I tweeted this over the weekend, and again, I, I hate to be, do this, but I'm just being honest with you folks. You, know, They keep talking about it, civilians are being attacked and civilians are being attacked, and then you're not seeing any live footage. Folks, Elon Musk has been able to keep the Internet up in Ukraine. The Ukrainians have cell phones. They have iPhones. They have Android. They have these things. This is not, you know, the cave <laughs> ages over there, and we're not seeing any video images. That should tell you a lot about what's going on. It tells me a lot about what's going on. So anyway, we will be back tomorrow uh, with a more full show. I'm traveling. I should be back in the studio by the afternoon, so we may drop the podcast a little later than usual, but probably not too late, and um, it'll be back to a typical show. And uh, trust me, tomorrow when when you tune back in, we will be listening to the racist, sexist, Republicans attacking Katanji Brown Jackson, which, of course, is not going to happen. But again, trust me, that's what we're going to be talking about tomorrow. So anyway, if you uh, tell you what, don't share today's uh, show with a friend. This is just for the uh, friends of the show. I didn't want to go and not do a show today. So um, but if you uh, like the show today, I hope you do tune back in tomorrow.